Hi, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is episode number 93. Three? Three. Not, not 93, three, 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 three. It's not just 93. And uh, this week, Ben is in, in London, but he's not here because he's in London. So this week, I have a man who needs no introduction. <laughs> Something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Casey, what's going on? Not much. I am making my hopefully triumphant return to mobile couch. I looked at my list of appearances on my website, and you guys, you, Ben, and Jake, because uh, Jake was still around at the time, uh, were my very first guest appearance on the 19th of August, 2013, mobile couch number 15. It was a good episode. I, if I remember correctly, it was about doing stuff in cr- like cross languages because we talked a little bit about so. about uh, Xamarin, I think. Yeah, I remember .net. talking about .NET for a bit because you you were at that time you were a .NET developer. I mean, you kind That's of right. still are, but you're not really. Uh, <laughs> and now and now you've gone to working in Swift. You, like you, you're actually a Swift developer now, right? Well, that's 90% true. So our existing apps are Objective-C, and uh. we are supporting um, a handful of them. But all future work, both feature additions to the existing apps where it makes sense, and we are trying to uh, clean room, rebuild our main app, all of that is now in Swift. So most of my day I spend in Swift, but especially lately as we've been trying to uh get a bunch of bugs cleaned up on one of these older apps. I've been doing a bit of Objective-C as well. Do you tend to forget your uh, semicolons or are you more of a forgetting yep. to do your like your brackets on the on the if statements and stuff? Uh no, the the what I would call parentheses, but you yeah. call brackets. Right. Um those don't really bother me. I oftentimes actually include them in Swift out of pure muscle memory. Yep. But for some reason I have very quickly gotten over um, not using semicolons in Swift. So I drop those semicolons like they're bad <laughs> habits in Swift. No problems, which is weird yep. because I thought it would take me forever to get used yep. to that. And oddly, despite having worked in languages my entire career, since 2004, I've worked in languages that require semicolons at the end of lines. Yep. I cannot remember them in Objective-C and it drives me up a wall. So I I always, I'm fine with, with semicolons. Like I, I managed to get them pretty much every time like i even switching between objective c and swift uh as i do with gif wrapped quite frequently semicolons not a problem but the the parentheses on the if statements and stuff every time i go back to objective c <laughs> every every friggin time i'll sit there for an hour look, looking at this if statement going why does that work it makes no sense it should be working yeah and it's yeah it's mm-hmm. just stupid syntax stupid swift (sighs) yep you know what i was running into earlier today and maybe this is a thing and i just didn't realize it but i really wanted um shoot i forget what they call it in swift but in net they call it a no a null coalescing operator so the double question mark i really wanted to use that in objective c for something and as far as i'm aware that's not a thing in objective c and so i had to do like the ternary you know question mark colon dance but man, I really love the uh, whatever they call it in Swift. But what I think of from .NET is null coalescing operator. Uh, maybe it's just null coalescing in Swift. But either way, I really wanted that in Objective C today, and it was driving me batty. Does Objective C do this? I know. I know. I've used at least a language where the uh, the question mark colon version, where you have where you set that out. Um, if yeah. your if your if statement part of that uh, is also returning the value that you want. I've seen a version where, like, if you just have literally the if statement, question, colon, colon, and then, like, your else bit, mm-hmm. I've seen mm-hmm. that work, but I don't think it was Objective-C. I, I think I may be, like, remembering maybe JavaScript or perhaps it very well PHP. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, it's, if it, I mean, it's effectively the same thing as the question mark, question mark. So, I, I, you know, I, I got used to that, like, the idea of that very, very, very quickly, very quickly. Yeah, I do like it. Real-time follow-up, it is nil coalescing operator. I was correct. Real-time follow-up. Real, mm. real-time follow-up. We we do like follow-up like several weeks later. So <laughs> don't don't worry. I'll just, I'll include it in like episode 100 and something. And, uh, All right, sounds good. You know, that way yeah, people just drop won't this get clip confused. In. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so what's going on these days? How so? How is Gifrap doing? So you had your big release. Uh, has it been since the last episode? I am embarrassed to admit we were talking before the show. I did not get a chance to listen to the most recent episode of Mobile Couch, but I am caught up accepting that one. Did did you and Ben get a chance to talk about the Gifrap release? So we didn't really because because the way that recording this podcast works is that we typically record a little bit in advance. And also, I was going on holidays, and Ben was going on holidays last episode, so we recorded kind of extra in advance. And so, by the time we recorded, it was um, we had gotten to the point where you know people were you know submitting their apps to the app store. That call had gone out, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. release hadn't happened yet because you know it was about a half a week beforehand. Uh, so now, as of now, obviously, finally has gone out. Uh, you know, Gifrap has gone out as well as the episode, and it went really well. It went really well. Ben was telling me on the last episode not to worry because you know, uh, but I was so worried. I was like, I was stressing. Have you ever had like a release where you just, you just, you just want to get past it? You just want to, you don't want to like go through the actual release or the maybe like the twenty four hours or maybe forty eight hours immediately afterwards you just kind of want to skip to the end where everybody's kind of happy-ish and all the bad stuff has been taken care of mm-hmm. i was feeling that yeah you want to be to the other side of it now maybe that means you know for sure that things have gone okay and you can just go ah or maybe it's that everyone is furious but you've already fixed all the problems <laughs> and then you can go ah yeah exactly but one way or another you want to be on the other end <laughs> the other side of that mountain yeah i i so the last two releases that i had i think 1.2 and 1.3 um they they were terrible terrible releases um whether or not that was to do with you know my was my fault which it mostly was or if it was to do with like just the way that things kind of shook out like they went really badly and i i recall having to like you know jump onto you know the problems and try and get a build out you know a new build out immediately and having to sit through like uh, you know an ex- expedited review process and um at one point one failed and so i had like you know had to wait a week a week that's so long so barbaric yeah to uh to you know for that for the fix you know fixing build to go out to everybody um, and so I think I like this this release. I had built up quite a bit of um, anxiety about like releasing, you know, more than more than I've ever had before. And yet it went without a single hitch. Like you know, there were, there were crashes. There was a few crashes here and there, and there was a couple of problems. Some people would like launch the messages app, and it would just I don't know repeatedly crash or something. Like it was just showing Wonderful. the icon, you know. And, and but you know that seemed to be like a more of an Apple thing than a than a me thing. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was there were quite easy ways around that, rebooting the device or in some cases people deleted the app and reinstalled and it went fine. And like that was, it was positively like positive. It was, it was so nice. So, so much better than any of my previous releases really at all. That's really awesome. And congratulations. You should be uh, darn proud of that. It was funny because I hadn't been getting... A gift wrapped updates um, from from test flight for a while, yeah. and I happened to have been pretty darn busy recently, so I didn't really think a whole lot of it. I just figured that you were working on stuff, yep. and we were talking. Uh, I don't remember uh, probably via iMessage, and you had said to me something along the lines of, "Oh yeah, you never really said anything about the uh, the the iMessage extension," and I said, "What what what?" what, what? What? <laughs> what iMessage extension? Yep. Yeah, yeah, the thing that's been in there for like two months. What? <laughs> so as it turns out, there was some sort of cross, and uh, and I wasn't on the the betas for a little bit for a little while, but now I am on the betas, and well, it's released anyways, and I can tell you the iMessage extension is magnificent or the iMessage app I should say is magnificent and I love it. I'm glad. I'm glad. And it was funny because you because I remember very clearly that at uh like not long after Dubdub you messaged me and said I must have an iMessage extension now. Like, <laughs> like build it, get it to me this this instant. It's already late. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember saying to you, like, if, if, if you, you know, you, you can, you can give me some money and I'll, I'll make that happen. But I don't think, uh, I don't think that's going to be how, how it rolls. And I think about a month later, I got, I managed to get it out to the beta testers and then, yeah, you were very quiet. You were very quiet about it. It's <laughs> just very strange. 
but it's I'm glad I'm glad you like it, and I'm glad it, I'm glad it's going well. And uh, you know, I've I've talked um, on various podcasts, including the now deceased topical mm. may it rest in peace. Mm. Uh, about I, I talked to Russell on one, at least one episode about releasing apps and releasing stuff, and uh, you know, I, I think some of that conversation very much applies in this instance because. Oh boy, that was a rough few days in the lead up to the release, and yet the aftermath of it was made probably so much more sweet by the fact that I was stressing so much, uh, and the fact that everybody does love the extension is, uh, the, or the app, as uh, whichever you decide to call it, is you know very satisfying, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you should be really pre- pleased and proud, which is apparently pleased. Priest. I am very priest. Yeah, you should be very priest. I am very priest. Oh, goodness. So tell us a little about what you are doing at the moment. Because, I mean, you talk a little bit on your podcasts about, you know, about your work. But, I mean, this is a developer show. So you should be able to, like, get into the <laughs> nitty gritty of what you do on a daily basis. Tell, tell really me dig about, in? Yeah, dig in. Just big spoonfuls. <laughs> All right. Well, my mouth is going to be full then, so this might be a little hard to listen to. Now, um, so <laughs> my day job, um, I used to be a consultant. Last time we spoke, I was doing consulting. And and when I say that, I was not doing the independent consulting like you do from time to time, where it's just you working for yep. uh, either one other person or I would presume typically a group of other people. Um, what I was doing was uh, consulting as a service, if you will, uh, which is to say... <laughs> Um, generally speaking, it was project-based consulting. So myself and a handful of coworkers would get a project to do from a client. We would do that project sometimes in concert with the client and some, well, it's always in concert with the client, but you know what I mean? Like sometimes we had client developers yeah. with us. Sometimes we didn't. And regardless, we would work on that project. We would see it through its completion and then we would go away never to return. Right. And that was fine. And it had some perks and it had some drawbacks, but that was all on the Microsoft stack. Hence us talking about .NET. Uh, a while back when I was on the show before. Yep. Now I am working at a 14-year-old startup, <laughs> which I really mean that. We just took uh, a big round of financing about a year ago, a little less than a year ago. Uh, actually, no, it was like six months ago. It doesn't matter. Anyway, suffice to say, it's been around a long time, yet despite that, it is still taking venture capital money and it is still considered a startup. Oh, right. And so we have a web presence, which is how the company started all way back when, given that it was 14 years ago. But as with everything that's on the web these days, more and more traffic seems to be going to mobile. And, or well, as you would say mobile, I will say mobile. Regardless, it's going to cellular telephones. And so I am working on the iOS team on our main app, which... I prefer not to talk about the the super specifics about the place in which I work, but suffice to say that there's kind of two sides to uh, to, to to our offering, and so it's two different groups of people are both coming at the same problem from different angles, and right. and so yep. the there's one main app that is what most of our um, I guess you could call them customers use, and then there's like another side of that. Think about it's it's roughly analogous to say Uber. So there's the Uber driver app, yeah. but there's also the Uber uh, rider app. So our quote unquote rider app is like our our big bread and butter. It's what most people use, but we also support the driver app as well, so to speak. And so we are in the process of redoing, and I'll just continue to beat this analogy to death. We're in the process of redoing our writer app from scratch, and we're doing that all in Swift. And we're also using a couple other weird and funky technologies like RX Swift, which we can talk about if you'd like. Um, and then we're also maintaining the driver app and a couple of other apps that are um, that are kind of associated with the, with the work that we do. So my day-to-day, -day, generally speaking, is writing new code in Swift and then occasionally uh, working on keeping these old ones alive and working in Objective-C. Okay. So, you've, I mean, you've more or less then ditched, well, I mean, not ditched, not in such negative <laughs> terms, but, you know, you, you've left behind the, the your sure. .NET past and moved into the, I guess, Apple ecosystem, sure. for lack of yeah, a better and, word. And some of our stuff is 
on .NET, and I've offered after the first few months went by, and it was clear that I wasn't going to get accidentally pigeonholed as an as .NET guy again. Now that it's been, uh, I've been at this job since February, so as we record, it's been about uh, six or seven months. Um, now, now that a lot of time has gone by, I've offered, hey, you know, if we need to do some API work because our API layer, uh, some of that is .NET. You know, if we need to do some API work, yeah, it's reasonable for me to jump in if I need to, and. So far, I haven't been asked to, which is fine. I mean, I, I love C Sharp, and I, I do miss it a little bit, but one of the magical things about Swift is that I think almost any modern language can see itself in Swift. We're actually dabbling in Scala now, uh, and I think we're going to be moving uh, some of that .NET API over to Scala. Yep. And I haven't had very much time to play with it yet, but the little bits I have seen, I'm like, oh, that's where that came from in Swift. I get it. You know? <laughs> so that's the advantage of Swift is that you can see a little bit of your own baby in it, no matter what that baby may be. Yeah, I mean... No square brackets, though. That's that's the uh, that you know, <laughs> I, I I recall square brackets so lovingly. It's just you know, sad that they're gone. No, not really. I I love. I not actually really. quite like Swift. I, I I've loved um, moving a lot of my code to Swift in GIF wrapped uh, over the past few months. Really. Yeah. So, what's your strategy on that? I was going to ask you earlier. Uh, is it that all new dev is in Swift? Any patches are moving classes to Swift as appropriate? How, what's the strategy? I mean, the most important part of my strategy at the moment is that I'm using Swift two point three and not Swift three. <laughs> uh, that's very. That needs to be very clear. And the part part yeah, of the here. reason um, for that, uh, I've had conversations with people like Russell about this, and uh, obviously Ben and you. Uh, the, the part of the reason for that is that Swift three, despite how lovely it is and how you know nice and succinct it is there are a lot of changes uh that have to go through and over the course of the of the like the beta um the ios 10 beta and i guess the swift 3 beta it's been very fluid as far as changes are concerned and i, I remember looking at a couple of the projects that they released at wwdc this year like the you know the, the sample projects Looking at though that code, the code for that, even like a month or two later, in Xcode, they wouldn't build because of some of the changes that have been made to Swift three in that mm -hmm. short amount of time, and there was no way that I was going to have to deal, like, going to go through dealing with a full project on that. So I just decided, yeah, Swift Swift two point three now, I can do it. I can deal with that because it's just like maybe add an exclamation point here and there, uh, or you know, do do it properly. But yeah, Swift three is going to have to wait till afterwards. And um, but yeah, as far as like moving from Objective C to Swift, uh, now that Swift is relatively close to being well, it's not really relatively close now that I've got have to do the migration to Swift three. But now that it's re relatively close to being like uh, I guess set in stone as far as you know writing writing the code. Sure. Um, I felt pretty good about like moving from Objective C and felt pretty good about like okay, well, this is the way that things are going to go, so I might as well write a bunch of new stuff in Swift. Why not? And part of that process has been basically anything new that I write. Typically, I'll write in Swift unless it's really hard to get done in Swift for whatever reason, mm. which more happened earlier, like towards the beginning of my writing Swift where I was still pretty unfamiliar with it. Like I was familiar enough that I could write in it and it felt pretty good and I could get, you know, a class written and it would be fine. Um, but obviously over the course of even the 12 months that I've been writing Swift, kind of more or less full-time, it's been, uh, I've gotten a lot better. And so um, more and more new stuff gets written in Swift and less and less gets written in Objective-C. Over the last twelve months, a lot of like a lot of stuff has been rewritten, for, especially for the library in GIFWrapped, and that has been partially because I needed to write some new, like write things differently in order to allow things like the Messages app, yay! But it's also <laughs> because I just I needed to you know move. I wanted to move everything to Swift. Swift 
has allowed for you know it's it's allowed for being type safe and it's allowed for you know it's a safe language and you know all the all the stuff i mean it's very <laughs> true like it's it might be over kind of overused as a word with swift but it's definitely definitely been truth in my experience in that uh you know i i've probably come in front of a lot more bugs now that i'm you know able to you know to see optionals and stuff like that than than previously so that's been, you know, it's been it's been for a lot of different reasons, but the progress has been made by effectively writing new stuff. If I'm doing a lot of changes to an existing class and have a little bit of time, I might move that to Swift. But a lot of stuff has been like if I'm just touching like a line or two, or you know, maybe writing adding a new method and it's in Objective C, then I'll write it in Objective C. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So you've gone kind of above and beyond just plain old Swift. Which is what I'm writing. Like I just write everything in, you know, honest, honest Swift is what I'm going to call it. Just, just normal <laughs> Swift, I guess. But you, you're using, you're using what is it, Rx Swift? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, ReactiveX is the kind of uh, communal name for this paradigm um, or implementation of a paradigm called functional reactive programming. And so, what that is is it kind of turns everything on its head a bit. And it's a very opinionated and very interesting way of architecting, maybe not architecting, but of implementing your your applications. Mm. And so um, it's, I mean, if you look at uh, their website, which is reactivex.io, you know, the, the, the two-second elevator pitch is an API for asynchronous programming with observable streams. So the slightly longer elevator pitch or lift pitch is that what you guys is that even a term to you guys an elevator pitch or a lift pitch i don't think it's quite i mean the elevator pitch is definitely definitely the term that i've heard i've never heard lift pitch that's weird um but yeah i'm 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 relatively familiar with that maybe maybe less so because there's less of a culture of startups in (laughs) australia i mean there is still startups here but sure sure not quite as much as over over where you are yeah, fair enough. And and for here, it's a lot less than Silicon Valley because yeah. I'm, on the, I'm on the opposite side of the United States. Well, anyway, mm. so the slightly longer version, the, the skyscraper-sized elevator pitch is that, you know, if you think of a lot of the development that we do, particularly in native code uh, rather than, say, the web, a lot of that development is about reacting to things that the user does. Mm-hmm. They've tapped a button, they've yep. scrolled, whatever the case may be. So the way ReactiveX solves this is to say, we're going to give you a stream. And as these events occur, they will occur on that stream, and you can manipulate those events, say, map them in the same way you would map things in, in just vanilla Swift. What did you call it? Uh, Honest regular Swift. Swift. Honest, Honest, Honest Swift. Honest Thank you. Swift, yeah. So in the same way you would map things with Honest Swift, you can map, um, you can map signals and, and streams in, in reactive or rx swift um, reactive is the again the uh, kind of umbrella term and rx swift is a particular implementation for swift and there's implementations for javascript and c sharp and several other things but the one we're talking about today is of course rx swift so anyway so it, as you as you get these interactions from a user and it doesn't just have to be that it could be a response from the network it could be any number of things but user interaction is the easiest example as you get uh, input from the user you can do things with it so the kind of quintessential example is let's say you're doing a search for something let's say like in yelp you're looking for a restaurant and you want to make sure that you don't hammer the server and use a bunch of data for no good reason. Right. So you want to make sure that you don't actually make a request until the users stop typing. So if they're looking for um, a brewery, you don't want to send a search for the letter B and then BR, and then BRE, then BREW, BREWE, you know what I mean? You yep. just want to wait until they kind of slow down for a second and stop typing. Right. And additionally, you want to wait until they've entered at least, say, three characters. Yeah, fair so, enough. So the idea with, with Rx is that you can 
they, they provide in RX Coco, which is a subset of RX Swift, they provide um, signals for, uh, or really observables, for all of these different UI events. So, for example, the uh, UI search bar or whatever it is, has, you know, a search term property. I forget exactly what it is, either text or search or what have you. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, it, it, is, it has a string on it that is the current search text. Well, Rx, Rx Coco provides an observable, which is to say it will call your own code. You, you provided a, a closure uh, to, to operate on yep. or operate with. And so it will call that closure every time it changes. But what gets interesting is you can do things to that observe, uh, observable. So you could say, you know, uh, you could say the search bar uh, search observable well, I'm going to filter so that it will only it will only call my code if it's at least three characters long. So you've already immediately solved that problem just by using the filter operator on observable. Yeah, okay. Are you with me so far? Yep, I'm with you so far. Yep. So then you can also um, say uh, debounce it, or uh, that may not be the right thing off the top of my head, but you, but the idea being you can say, well... I'm going to wait until it's it, whatever the the particular value is, it's been stable for at least three tenths of a second. So you've got that observable dot filter, you know, say that the value is at least three characters dot debounce or whatever the appropriate one is, um, such that it will only call you after it's been sitting still for three tenths of a second. And then you can actually perform an operation once all of that is done. You could map something else into it. So maybe you want to have a combination of the search value and some other value from somewhere else, or maybe like the user's ID or something like that. You could map that in. And so you start chaining all these operations together, and it starts to be really, really powerful. And you can get a whole lot of code done very, very quickly. I mean, think about how just the debouncing would be if you didn't use the built-in method, you would have to oh, have yeah. like an NS timer or something yep. like that. It just gets super ugly super quickly. Whereas this whole thing is one chain, one line of code in RX Swift, which is amazing. This is tough though, because it turns everything on its head. So it was really hard for me to figure out how to write this kind of code until you start thinking of a couple of things. First of all, everything is a stream. There's a great website, rxmarbles. I think it's .com. Yes, rxmarbles.com. Okay. You can see kind of what these operations do. So let's take, for example, merge. So on the left-hand side of rxmarbles.com, you can scroll up or down until you find merge, which I think is actually the default when you land on the website. It's in the uh, second section, the third one down. So if you look at this, there's two arrows on screen, and I'm trying to paint a word picture for the listeners. There's two arrows on screen that are going from left to right. And there's a series of blobs, which are signals. So so in other words, this is when something has happened. Series of blobs that are running from the arrow, and these arrows represent time. So on the top arrow, there's 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. Below that, there's another arrow that has just the number one, two different times. So... There's 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 on the top arrow, one, and then one again on the bottom arrow. And what merge does is it says, okay, I'm going to take these two and I'm going to merge them together. And it and so below the merge operator, that there's a third arrow that represents the, the, the end result of this operation. So guess what? It's 20, 40, 60, one, because that's where this particular one happens to sit, 80, 100, one. I know that's very hard to to understand when I'm describing it verbally, but if you go to rxmarbles.com, it should be fairly apparent fairly quickly. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's it's showing here that they they're going in basically where they show up on that on that timeline, so to speak. Exactly right, and yeah. that is what this is. It is a timeline, and then the little vertical pipe at the right hand side is it indicates that's when it all stops. So I bring all this up to say that. When you start thinking of everything as a stream, and then you start composing these streams and and just making these operations work off of each other, then you can make some really powerful things happen with very little code. And the other really great thing about Rx is that you try very hard never, ever, ever, ever to have state. And if you think about it, search is a great example, because 
I'm never, ever, ever storing what the user has entered. I'm not storing B or BR or BRE or BREW. I'm simply reacting to the fact, reactive, reacting to the fact that they have entered another character into the search box. I think maybe for the very first time that has actually made sense to me. <laughs> right? So, so you're not keeping that state around. And if you think yeah. about it, a lot of bugs tend to be when your internal state in your code doesn't match the state of the world. Yeah. When you think that the user has typed brewery, but in reality, they've backspaced all that away and have typed martini or what have you. Right. And that is, a, that is a bug because the user thinks they're searching for martini, but for whatever reason, your code was still hanging on to their prior search, which was brewery. So the whole idea of reactive is to try to get away from state as much as possible and try to just react. And I keep saying this not to be you know, stupid or not, not, to, not to be clever even, but it's just, it's really trying, I'm trying to hammer the point home that you're reacting to things that the user does, or perhaps that the network does. If you've fired off a request and, and, and rather than just sitting around waiting for it, it will, you know, you could have a stream where, it, where that request eventually lands and then you can react to the response from that request quest you made. Um, and so the whole idea of this is to just try to stay stateless and try to just use all these different operations on observable to try to make complex things happen just by breaking it down to its constituent pieces. So if, coming back to our search example again, well, I want the user to be able to search, but I don't want to hammer the network. And I only want searches to count if they're three characters or more. Yep. So here again, that's dot filter so you know the observable dot filter so that the the length is three or more dot debounce so that it's at least three tenths of a second before you run it and suddenly all of that is taken care of does that make sense so far it does make sense and to, like and honestly like the idea of um you know chaining a couple of functions together to get that job done sounds amazing in comparison to what i've had to do previously mostly in javascript i think to get that sort of stuff done I don't really have like live searches in anything these days. Not even gift wrapped in well, gift wrapped for so gift wrapped has it for the library, but the library is right there. Like it's sure. it doesn't have to go to a network to do it. So it just it like typing one character will literally immediately do a uh, like do the animation to remove all the you know, non matching items. Mm -hmm. But the the online search like you have to uh, you know you have to hit search the search button like a jump. I've I've definitely done in like on the web side of things with JavaScript mostly done the sort of thing where you have like a live box that brings you back results immediately because it's that is a really nice kind of feeling and getting that done has always been like a matter of you have to write all of that like the the, the stuff that you like the timeout stuff that you were talking mm -hmm. about um you have to you have to write that by hand with javascript right and uh yeah like that's that's always been a bit of a pain to do like it's not i mean it's i've done it so many times now that i'm like yeah i'll just write this you know write this additional event thing you know just create this event when it goes off and yeah i not not having to do that like that that, that sort of stuff is kind of nice to use but pain to set it all up and i guess rx kind of provides a lot of that for you yeah that's exactly right and there's some other extensions for say doing table views very very easily because they, they rx will do a whole bunch of magic that is really freaking magical to to make table views a lot easier to deal with so basically you just provide the way in which you set up your cell and the source data that you're using and a couple other minor things, and then suddenly your table view is like magically taken care of, including like animations on insertion and deletion and all sorts of, of, of really cool stuff, mm. which is really nice. Now, the other thing that really blew my mind when I was learning Rx is that most of the things that, that we do as developers are operating on a, a collection of stuff. So say an enumerable collection of stuff like an array or a, a list or dictionary or what have you. Right. And there's this great, there's this great video by uh, a couple of guys whose names I'm blanking, but I will make sure that jelly puts a link in the show notes. The video is like an hour and a half long. It is really long. And the first like half an hour of it is just way off into the weeds of like, you know, computer science and mathematics that I don't think is terribly relevant for the purpose of really our conversation. But at about 35 minutes into this video, the the main guy, I think his name is Eric, yep. he starts describing 
Well, let's look at, and this is and this is all in .NET, and that's where uh, ReactiveX started. But the same concepts are applicable across many, 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 many different platforms. And generally mm. speaking, the same methods, you know, method names and whatnot are used in all these different platforms. So he starts saying, well, let's look at at an enumerable. So in .NET, you know, the enumerable interface or protocol, if you will. Basically, all it has is one method or function that says, give me an enumerator. That's all it does. Yep. And then if you look at what an enumerator is, it basically has two functions. Move me to the next next one, and what's my current one? Yep. And by the way, when you move to the next one, is that even possible? So, you know, it returns a Boolean. So that's it. Enumerable has get enumerator. Enumerator has move next, and what's the current one? And so he starts talking about, well, let's flip this all on its head. So for enumerable, let's say instead of asking for an enumerator, let's say you just want to kind of subscribe to things happening, and that would give you back an observable. And that kind of sounds wonky, but if you look at an enumerator, this starts to make a little more sense. So if you think about move next... Right. Well, what that's really telling you is, am I done yet? Because move next again returns a Boolean that says, hey, did this work or not? So let's say rather than me saying, hey, I'd like to move next, did that work? What if we just say that this thing will tell me when I'm done? So move next, that returns a Boolean, instead is just, just becomes, hey, I'm all done. Okay. Additionally, the current which is you know a property in, in .NET and very well could be in, in, in Swift, the, what, what is the current thing that the enumerator is pointing at? Well, what if we flip that on its head and just said, you know what, I'm going to tell you when the next one is ready. And so suddenly it's a on next. So we have on done, which means that's O-N-D-O-N-E, on done, which says, hey, this thing's over. On next, which says, hey, we've gotten another one. And then finally, well, what happens if something breaks? Well, let's throw an on error in there. And so suddenly this thing, this on done, on next and on error, that which is the, uh, the kind of mirror image of an enumerator, we can call that an observer and you get an observer out of, guess what? An observable or, or you know, an observable is, is used with an observable. Yeah. They do a much better job of describing it, and it's from about 35 minutes until about 45 minutes. And the whole rest of the video, I'm not going to say it's not worth watching, but you can probably pass. But it's really, really fascinating. Now, Jelly, I had asked you to to watch this on the yeah. thought that maybe we would talk about this. Yeah. Does, is there anything you'd like to add? Maybe explain it slightly differently, or does that all kind of make sense? I, I think it all makes sense. Um, real real time follow-up, is this how you do it? The guys' right. names are uh, Brian Beckman and Eric uh, Meijer. I'm going to go with Meijer. That sounds right to me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I would, I would, uh, I would say that that's relatively clear. I, I think the like, you know, I, I use an observer kind of pattern, not RX or anything like that, but I, I use observers quite a lot to do like to to watch, you know, to, to observe things. Um, things happening and this is a really basic example of how of how that kind of kind of comes together and if you don't understand how they work if you don't understand how observables work it, it does kind of um it does kind of explain it really nicely because they write up code on a whiteboard and it's uh, it's very clear yeah it's a it's a video so they have the advantage of yeah. being able to show you things and that's when you know you and i have the disadvantage of just having to kind of fumble through it yeah but this kind of all comes together in in that the thing that I, I should ha- that I should hammer home one more time is that what makes RX so fascinating and so fun and so great is that instead of kind of querying, hey, do you have anything else for me? Hey, do you have anything else for me? Hey, are we good? Do you have anything else for me? It pushes that onto you. So instead of pulling all of those things, pulling, you know, hey, did the user tap? Did the user tap? It's pushed onto you. And yeah, okay, I understand that there are delegate callbacks and things like that. And it's it's sort of like that, but it's so much more because yeah. you can filter the delegate callbacks, so to speak. You can debounce them. You can do all these different things. And and again, the the really key thing here is that it's almost always state-free. You can get into advanced topics where you do actually introduce state, but typically you don't need to. And that's what makes it so darn powerful. Yeah. And the lack of state means there's that many fewer places for bugs to creep up, which is also important. And it really just becomes 
it becomes fascinating to see what you can do with so little code. And so to come back around to this like search thing, my coworker Jamie and I, a few months ago, were going back and forth with Brent Simmons when the whole, oh, Swift isn't dynamic thing was going around. And we were talking to him about RX Swift. Yep. And so we actually wrote kind of a, it was not 100% working because we didn't have like Xcode out and and we weren't doing this for real, but a very good representative example of this kind of search dance that you and I have been talking about. So I'll have Jelly put a link in the show notes to that as well. So you can check out like the difference between what we wrote and what uh, Brent ended up doing, which was he wrote the same thing in, in you know, traditional imperative programming, uh, you know, in, in Honest Swift. And you can see the difference between the two. And it it's strikingly different whether or not you care for our version you know, that's, that's your own thing, but, um, but it is strikingly different nevertheless. Yeah. I mean, I've always had, I've always struggled to wrap my head around the concept of reactive programming. And I think for once, I don't know what it is, but this conversation has actually managed to nail it, uh, nail it for me because I've, I've always struggled with the idea of, uh, I, I don't think I ever really kind of grasped that, you know, you chain things together and that's how you kind of move from one thing to the next. I, I don't know why. I, I, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> well, no. It's, and the thing is, it's, it's super hard not to fall back into your imperative ways. Because that's yeah. what always gets me is that I think to myself, well, how am I going to fix this? I know. I'll just save the state of something off to the side. And everything around it will be super reactive and awesome. But I got to keep this off to the side because I don't know how to fix this problem otherwise. Yeah. And there are occasions that that is the case. So you really do need to save state for whatever reason. I wish I could think of a good example, but I can't at the moment. Uh, well, how about like a user ID? Yeah. You know, maybe the user logs in and the server will give you back like a token or something like that or a user ID. And you don't want to have to ask the server every two seconds, hey, you know, what was that token again? So maybe you want to save that off to the side. But generally speaking, generally speaking, you really don't need to do that. And generally speaking, if you really go all in, you can figure out a way to do this just by chaining observables together or chaining uh, operations on observables together. You know, and and so... It's it's a really powerful paradigm that is very hard to describe and even harder to teach yourself how to use. Because again, it's flipping everything on its head. Look at the enumerator and enumerable discussion we just had. It's turning it completely upside down. Yeah. And that's a weird thing to get your head around. So don't feel stupid. And I, gosh only knows if I'm doing a good job describing it. But it's it's a very weird and difficult thing to understand. And I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying before with like moving my code to Swift in the early days, even like last year when, I mean, I had a relatively a relatively good kind of grasp on, or I felt like I had a relatively good grasp on Swift and I kind of knew what I was doing. And I mean, I came from Objective-C and it basically is Objective-C with, you know, a few other niceties and kind of a, a, a different syntax. and even at that early stage, like I had, there was a lot of stuff that, like a lot of things that I would run into where I would, you know, trying to wrap my head around, okay, how do I do this in Swift? Um, co like comp more of the co more complex stuff where, where like I would have written it in 10 seconds in Objective-C, but I wanted to try and get mm -hmm. it in Swift and I wanted to make sure mm -hmm. that it was, you know, that I, I did it like, not necessarily the Swifty way, as as they say, but you know, yeah, yeah. doing it in a way that kind of made sense and made use of things like the fact that there was optionals and stuff like that. And in the beginning, it was really hard to kind of grasp that and to figure out how to make that happen. And there are still classes in my code at this time that are in Objective-C literally because I couldn't figure out how I was supposed to do it the other way. So I just decided to do it in Objective-C instead. And I think this is a similar situation where, when you're dealing with, uh, when you're dealing with, you know, moving from one kind of way of thinking of thinking about things to the other way of thinking about things, there's definitely like some kind of head flip stuff that you got to do. You got to like, you got to really twist, you know, twist your your perception of how you write your code, and that's not an easy thing to do. It's it's not an easy thing to do at all, and uh, yet. At the same time, like like I I see so much potential in this uh, in 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 observing streams and doing it the like this functional way it, and and suddenly it's starting to make sense to me, which is it like that's that's 
it's outstanding. It's outstanding. Yeah, and and I haven't mentioned as well that this is super testable. So I don't know, and I, I would like to know in a moment what you do and whether or not you really believe in unit testing. But <laughs> we're trying to get a lot better about that at work, and so. This is all super duper testable. And what you can do is you can set up not a mock stream, but kind of like a, a test stream. And you can say, well, let's just say at 100 milliseconds, this fires B. At 120 milliseconds, it fires BR. At 130 milliseconds, it fires BRE. At 150 milliseconds, it fires BREW. And so you can kind of fake what this observer observable is you can make you can make a, a mock observable and feed that into your regular old code and see what comes out of it and so it's super duper unit testable which is also really really awesome because you can test all of these things without having to do the kind of wonky uh, xcode ui testing mm-hmm. and you can just test all this stuff just by feeding it streams that you're creating by hand which is also super great now do you do a lot of unit testing or is that not really a part of your world it's not really a part of my world okay there's no really good reason like it's not that i hate unit tests or anything like that sure. i'm not against them i it just they've never really factored into my kind of process and i'm definitely not i think i had a i think i had a mobile catch episode where i talked about about it with russell early early on this year where we talked about like you know neither neither of us really do any testing and it's just simply because it's not really like it's just not the part of our process people who get into unit testing tend to be the sort of people who like to, who also like to uh evangelize unit testing um, <laughs> and so you know you know they, they they will tend to uh you know talk about how amazing it is and how you should you, should, you you know they lost they lost ten kilos uh you know by doing this one weird trick and it's just it, it's this sort of thing where like I, I see all of the people talking about how lovely it is and how it's nice to have their te- their code tested and how it's nice to know that it works and yet I just you know I the the way that I write my code I think doesn't necessarily mean that I don't need testing obviously that that's not a, that's not necessarily a thing. But the way that I've found it is that it's a lot easier to write unit tests if you're writing, like you're doing the kind of test-driven development type Mm, style mm -hmm. where you you write code to, to test it almost. And the way that I write code and have written code for however many years I've been a developer has always been to... Uh, you know, to think about like what I'm trying to get out of the code, and uh, rather than like you know what I'm trying to test about this code, and so I, 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 I yeah, I've I've always struggled with like changing that mindset. It's it's all about changing mindsets, Casey. Changing mindsets. <laughs> yeah, I'm just expanding your mind, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree that uh, TDD test driven development has never been my thing, and so the the way you do TDD is you write a test. And you make sure that that test fails because you haven't written the code to make the test work, right? And I'm probably getting that slightly wrong, but the the, no, that's, the idea that's is about right. So the idea is you're you're starting with the test and working backwards into the the actual code. I agree with you that that feels totally backwards, and I hate it. And so what I do is I write my code, but I found that a really great way to force yourself to do tests is instead of exercising your code with some with you know the associated ui or by you know throwing something in your app delegate that immediately you know kind of tickles the code you've just written to see if it works a really great way to test the code that you've just written is to write the test for it does that make sense so it does make sense yeah so so this way you've you've done things the way you want which is you've written the code that's shipping in the app first but in order to see if that code is working and just you know developer test it you write a unit test and then that'll have the convenience of you can fire that unit test immediately and you don't have to wait for the whole app to come up and blah 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 Mm. and it also gives you the testability of knowing well i have unit tested this block of code and so it should be good to go and that's how i like to do it Sometimes I'm better at it than other times, especially if I get busy. Unit tests are the first thing that get dropped on the ground. But it does work out 
really, really nicely that way. And it, uh, and I like it the most because it gives me a way to kind of bootstrap into the code I'm working on right then, right. you know, cause nothing makes me more angry than having some code that I'm working on. That's like seven screens deep that I need to configure eight different things in order to get to that screen. So take that Uber example from before the, you know, maybe the code I'm working on, the only way to exercise it is if you call for a ride, get in the car, take the ride. And now upon leaving the ride, that's the code I'm working on. Well, that's a total pain. So having a unit test that just that immediately exercises that code is really, really convenient. Yeah, and I mean, I obviously I do. I have to. I have to write the code that calls the that calls the code that I've written at some point. So I guess sure. it makes it like it makes sense to write initially write a code like write a test for that. And I definitely write tests in that. Uh, you know, for, I've been writing tests for some of the frameworks and like um and libraries that I've been writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I I I make use of libraries for various different things, both to share code, you know, open source or whatever, but also to, uh, keep code between my apps. One example being I I have a library that I call Storefront, which is uh for dealing with in-app purchases because nobody wants to have to write against Storekit more than once in their life. <laughs> it's it's a horrible nightmare, and I uh, so I've written kind of some some stuff that kind of it makes that a little bit easier and kind of works the way that I want it to work and uh, allows me to kind of pull a few different things and check receipts and all that sort of stuff. And writing, like, I, I've tried to make a thing of writing tests for that stuff, like, you know, to make sure that that sort of stuff gets tested because that way I don't have to, like, you know, go over my entire gift-wrapped project uh, and feel like I have to write tests for that. Yep, because I feel like I, you know, I feel like I'm that sort of person, Casey, where I just everything has to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> if it's going to be tested, it's going to be fully tested. No, it, I, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to make a thing of you know doing testing where it's where it's appropriate, where I feel like it, it's necessary, and I uh, and yeah, um, it's it's a slow process. It's a slow process because it's it's more of a yeah, it's it's kind of it does my head in. Doesn't yeah, really, really does my head in. Yeah, but unit testing's your friend. Maybe we can talk about that next time. But uh, next unit time. testing's definitely your friend. But that, I think I think that's I think that's all the time that we've we've got, Casey. It's been nice to have you. It's been nice to yeah. have you here, replacing Ben. Oh, <laughs> not replacing. It is, I am I am, but a mere imposter at best. <laughs> Ben is pretty amazing. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Indeed. And, and I also wanted to thank you uh, publicly. Uh, what, you know, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but uh, for taking a chance on me. And, you know, you guys, you were my first guest spot. <laughs> it makes me so happy. And uh, no, it, was, it, was, it was extraordinarily flattering, truly, all, all kidding aside. It was extraordinarily flattering when somebody reached out from all the way across the planet in Australia, of all places, and yeah. said, hey, would you appear on our, on our show? And I, I couldn't believe my eyes when I read that email. And uh, I, I, was, I was and remain touched that uh, you guys reached out first. So I do appreciate it. Well, it's our, our pleasure. And uh, we'll have to next time not make it quite so long between your next guest spot your guest yeah. spots oh uh, well you, we can kick ben out whenever you need i mean what <laughs> indeed now if you would like to read any of the show notes casey has provided links it's crazy uh if you would like <laughs> to read any of them or watch the video that casey mentioned before then uh you should ch- jump onto the website the website uh also has a place where you can send us an email if you want to email people mostly me and ben uh, you can you can send email from there, and uh, the website is mobilecouch.co. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us individually, you can do that as well. Casey is on Twitter. He is Casey List. That's C A S E Y L I S S. That's Casey List. That's right. Uh, and I am Jelly Bean Soup. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to our patrons for uh, supporting the show, making the show possible. They are amazing. They. Are always that they've always been amazing, and thank you to you for listening. It's been great to talk to you once more. Until next time, goodbye. I'll see you later, Jelly.